0: so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being under myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some." I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Father God, we thank you again for your word. We're just to uh, thank you for the opportunity to worship through song, through prayer, through giving, and now through the study of your word. And we pray the spirit would be free to work in our hearts and our lives today to challenge us, to encourage us, and to build us up. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, uh, we started focusing on the idea of building bridges to connect with people, hoping and looking for, of course, an opportunity to share the gospel. And and even as I say that, I I want to remind us all that we have to be very clear about our motives and our desires. Uh, We cannot look at these ideas as simply like a checklist, a program, you know, that I got to check off a few things to do, and we definitely cannot uh, perceive people as projects, uh, When we come to, uh, to being on mission, we have to develop a heart and, and, and a mind that has a real love and compassion for the people in the same way God has that love and compassion for people. And in order to do that, we have to see people as God sees them, right? Uh, and so people are not jerks or obnoxious, dirty, rotten sinners, right? They are hurting And broken people, or as Jesus described them as we looked at previously, distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Do we see people as God sees them? Probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave or sent His only begotten Son. And God did not stop loving the world after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus back up into heaven. Right now, God so loves the world that He gave or sent us to carry on the mission that Jesus began. That's how we started this series, reminding each and every one of us that we are all sent uh, by God. Uh, So what is the mission that Jesus has given us? Well, uh, or He had while on earth that we're carrying out now? It's very... Uh, straightforward. He gave it in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So the reality is no matter uh, what age you are, no matter your race, no matter your social standing, marital status, uh, no matter what job or career you might have in this world, your mission as a Christian is to be the feet of Jesus going where he would go and to be the hands of Jesus reaching out to the people that he would reach out to. We have all been sent on this mission. And that's why we need to consistently pray for ourselves to have the eyes and the heart of God because that's not something that simply happens naturally. It's not just something that automatically happens to you the moment you get saved. We have to seek for it and and work towards that. And that means also having a willingness to invest in people. We are called to love them and care about them whether or not they ever come to Christ or even give us an opportunity to, to share You remember that Jesus said the very greatest commandment, meaning the one that was most important, the one of highest value that must be followed no matter what, the highest and greatest commandment was to love God. And if we are truly loving God, what is important to Him should be important to us. And that would lead directly to what he said was the second greatest commandment, the second most important, right, which is to love people. Because of all the things that are important to God in this world, people are at the top of the list. And he doesn't tell us to love people who agree with us. He doesn't tell us to love people who live the way they ought to be living or to love people who show some interest in God. He simply tells us to love people. And so because we love people and because we do believe the gospel, that heaven and hell are real and that people's eternal destinations hinge on what they do with Jesus Christ, because we believe that, we want to do our best to be on mission, to be reaching out to them. And again, we know and we understand as we've looked in previous messages that it is only God who can draw someone's heart to himself. It is only God who can convict uh, a person of sin and righteousness and judgment. It is only God who saves. Uh, We get that. But hopefully by now we're also getting the point that God has chosen to use us throughout that entire process. We might be the one that he uses to plant a seed to draw that person to yourself. We, among you, know, you, among many others, might be one that he uses to water that seed, uh, to, to spur it on to growth. And maybe he would use you to be the one that actually shares how that person can have salvation with them. Because we know, hello, <laughs> but because we know all of this is God's work, we don't try to force the issue, Right? if God's the one that's doing the work, we're not going to have to be the one to take over the Holy Spirit's job. Instead, we want to do a lot of praying, which is, of course, actively being on mission because as we pray, we're consistently and persistently asking God to do what only He can do in a person's heart, so that's a key and vital role of it. But as we're praying, we are also watching, watching for the opportunities that God gives to to provide a witness, um, uh, or as we called it last week, uh, uh, flinging out seeds uh, to those around us. Uh, often those witnesses might come in the, uh, in the form of one very short, simple statement uh, that just brings God into the conversation, what God's doing in your own life. So now here's the question. All of that is review of what we've gone over the previous weeks. Here's the question. As we are praying and watching for God to work, does that mean... there's nothing else for us to do. And the answer, of course, is a resounding no. We can and should be actively working to build bridges with people who need to know Jesus, which is to say, everybody, right? We all need to know Jesus. Last week, I mentioned the survey that the, the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism did where they uh, found that 79% of unchurched American adults uh, are willing to have conversations about faith in Jesus Christ and, and your belief. But one of the key words in that uh, survey was with a friend. They were open to having that kind of conversation with someone they had a relationship with. It wasn't necessarily this deep, lifelong friendship that had to be there, but just some type of connection or relationship. They were willing to have that type of conversation. It's all good if there's a bit of a relationship. So that means for us, as we're praying and watching, another thing we need to be doing is building those bridges to create relationships with people who need to know Jesus. So that means we should be intentionally seeking out ways to connect with people who do not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you know what? That's kind of hard for us because, let's face it, It's way more comfortable and easy to build friendships with people who already believe like we do and already have the same values that we follow and the same social and cultural rules that we have. But Jesus didn't call us to take the easy road, did he? He called us to go to a world that needs to know him. And guess what? These people who need Jesus, by and large, they're not going to be like us. I mean, in a certain degree they will. Of course, uh, we live in the same community, have the same culture surrounding us, but they are not like us. And you know why? Because Christians are weird. If you had not got this yet, you need to know it now. If you're a Christian, you're a weird person. Uh, uh, if you uh, are following Jesus, committed your life to following Jesus because he's forgiven your sins and given you new life, that means you're committed to obeying him and following the Bible. That makes you a weirdo, at least in the eyes uh, of those who don't get that, right? I mean, you do weird things. You get up on Sunday morning and go to church when you could be sleeping in or goofing off or doing something else. You choose to do what's right, even when it's hard. You accept responsibility when you're wrong and, and you apologize. You are an honest person, even when it seems like a lie or a little deceit would be the easy way out. You do those things. And yeah, you're far from perfect in that. But even in that, you, you continue to seek God and desire Him to transform you from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus because ultimately that's our goal. We want to be like Jesus and for the rest of the world that makes you weird. But it's those people who think you're weird that you're called to reach. So how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is what... The apostle paul was talking about in our passage we're looking at today now next next sunday we're going to look at another more active uh route that we can take but but with this one um uh, is part of that building connections he starts with what might first appear to be kind of an odd statement he says for though i am free from all men i have made myself a slave to all so that i may win more So basically he is saying that he is not under the rule or obligation to any man. He only answers to one person, and that person he answers to is Jesus Christ. God, God alone is the only one he answers to. But even though that is true, he has chosen to make himself a slave to all. Now that does not mean he literally has become everybody's servant so that they can just order him around to do whatever they want him to do. That's not what he's talking about, although he definitely is willing to serve people as, as it is needed. But, but primarily that is a way of saying that he was willing to subordinate his own preferences and desires to that of others. So why would he do that? I mean, is it just so he could be a nice guy and people would like him? No. He, he says point blank. He says very clearly why he would do it at the end of the verse. So that I may win more. But now the question is, well, how does that work? I mean, what does that look like in real life? How... How how, how does that go about? He goes on to describe exactly what he means. He says, to the Jew, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. Now, notice he's repeating his purpose statement about winning people there because he wants to keep that clear throughout the entire passage so we don't forget the purpose in all of this uh, that he is doing. Um, uh, He he wants to win more. So he'd be like a Jew uh, to the Jews. Now you think, well, uh, that's pretty simple for him to be like a Jew, isn't it? I mean, he is a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was raised a Jew. Wouldn't that be kind of like me saying, I'm willing to you know, learn to be like an American so I can win Americans? I mean, it's already there, right? Well, he goes on to explain a little bit more of what that means in the rest of the verse. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Okay, Under the law is another way of identifying a person as a Jew. But now you're seeing he's not just talking about being Jewish by birth, you know, nationality. He's talking about being Jewish in practice. Being under the law was a way uh, of talking about the way you behaved and and the way you lived your life. But more than that, uh, if you were under the law, that was seen by Jews as the way to being right with God and gaining salvation. If you were not under the law, meaning bound to follow all the rules and regulations, then you had absolutely no chance with God, at least in their eyes. So Paul understood, as you can see in this verse, that he and and all true believers, all true Christians are not, as he says there, are not under the law. We do not gain salvation by strict adherence to the law. We don't earn God's favor by keeping as many of the rules as we can. Instead, instead of the law, we're under grace. We're saved by grace. Our relationship to God is based on and defined by grace. And In fact, our relationships with one another uh, is controlled by that same grace that we have. It's all about grace, not law for the Christian. So does that mean that Christians have no law at all? Well, not exactly, but we'll get into that as as we move through the passage in, in just a few minutes. But for right now, the point is, even though Paul was no longer bound by the law, and he understood it had no bearing on his relationship with God, for the sake of the gospel, in order to provide an opportunity to win Jewish people to Christ, he would live as if he were still under the obligation of that law. He would subject himself to all their rules and ceremonies and hang-ups if it gave him that opportunity to reach them. And think about that. Besides all of the moral law that the Old Testament contains, it also had all kinds of rules and regulations for Israel's national life and then tons of ceremonial laws to help them as a people to remain distinct and separate from the peoples and nations around them. And then, on top of all of that, uh, down through the ages, the Jewish people had created all kinds of extra rules and regulations that went far beyond Scripture uh, that was laid out. And Paul says he is freed from those things, but if he went into a Jewish community and he was eating pork fritters and shrimp po'boys, one person's going to listen to him there, are they? Why? Because he was uh, needlessly uh, breaking their rules. And instead of building bridges, he would be offending and building barriers. Even though he understood that in Christ, he had the freedom to do all those things, uh, it wouldn't be productive in that situation. In order to build a bridge, he chose to willingly place himself under all of those rules. He would live like a Jew for a chance to connect with them and share the gospel. But then he switches gears in verse 21. He says, To those who are without the law... As without law, though not being without the law of God, but underneath the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. See, Paul is not going to live under all those Jewish regulations and laws and rules if he's trying to reach Gentiles because the Gentiles don't get them. They don't understand them, and frankly, they don't even care about them. What do you mean you can't eat pork? That that doesn't mean anything to them. So, Paul would discard all of them. Why working with non-Jewish people. So now does that mean that he would live a licentious life participating in sinful activities just because these people that he was trying to reach were living without uh, law and, and, and living that way? And of course the answer is, is absolutely not. I mean that's why he added that idea that he didn't live without the law of God but rather under the law of Christ. So what does that mean? I mean, well, that's, this could be a whole sermon or series of sermons in itself, but just real quickly here, what is the law of Christ then that he says he was living under? Well, James 2.8 puts it this way. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Now that phrase translated the royal law there uh, literally means the law of our king. And of course, our king is Jesus Christ. So, loving your neighbor is the law of Christ. That's the law he lays out there that Paul said he and all true Christians must live under. And then Paul explained w- w- what that would look like in, in Romans chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 8. He says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, you think there's any others? Yeah, we listed four there Uh, in the Old Testament, there's 613. So he's wrapping them all all, all, all together there. If there's any other commandment, it doesn't matter what it is, every single commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore it is, it is the fulfillment of the law. So by being under the law of Christ, to love people, we fulfill every moral demand of the law. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to sneak into his garage and steal all his stuff or seduce his wife. Or tell him what his dirty, rotten kids did to, to my yard. In fact, I wouldn't even call his kids dirty, rotten because that wouldn't be loving. It's a pretty simple concept. So even though serving lawless people, he would live in a way to break down barriers rather than to put them up or establish them but even as he did that, he was always careful to keep himself right before God. So now back in Corinthians, a verse uh, he goes on in verse twenty-two to expand this idea of, uh, of of how he's reaching people. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. So what is He's saying there what's the main point that he is making in this It's really very simple He's saying that he purposely looked for ways to connect and identify with the people he was trying to reach for Christ rather than doing things or not doing things that would create barriers or obstacles He meant laying aside his own personal preferences and likes and dislikes in order to build a bridge to people. I have become all things to all men. So, practically, what does that mean for us here in Hot Springs? Well, first, it means if you're going to be on mission, which again, reminder, every single one of us is called to be on mission, you can't always be hanging around with just your Christian friends. You need to purposely build some relationships with people who need Jesus. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, this is where you have to begin thinking creative, creatively and, and strategically. I mean, Perhaps you could join a club or a service organization here in Hot Springs, something that you already like to do. Or maybe you take something you already like to do and you create a group or a club like that that would invite other people in. Like, like say, knitting, for instance. If you like to knit, and I'm bringing that up because somebody dropped off a truckload of uh, a yarn here this week at the church, Donate Church. church. So we have about 817,000 skeins of yarn <laughs> up that's kind of a rough estimate, but it's, it's boxes of them. Okay, so, so uh, um, you like to knit. You know, it would be one thing to get together with your church friends, your Christian friends, and sit together and knit. That would be fun, and that would be comfortable, and you could have some good fellowship. But how about being on mission? How about taking that and doing something in the community? Well, how are you going to open that up to people in the community? Well, you might have to think of a community way that would uh, be something that people would be interested in. So now you say, hey, we're going to start a knitting group that's going to knit uh, winter scarves and hats for veterans as they come into the VA hospital. Well, that's something that might attract some, some people in the community. And now you've got this group that meets together, and guess what? You have an opportunity to build a relationship with someone that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you would volunteer at Seven Sisters Living Center or uh, Pine Hills or the State Home. I mean, there are tons of people up there that uh, are just dying for a relationship, someone to come and talk with them, to spend some time with them. You could start relationships there. Maybe you could get involved in a community program or project or, or event, such as the community theater or keep Hot Springs beautiful or the Bison Boosters or, or, or something else along those lines, anywhere where people meet on a regular basis, you can become part of that. And you do it intentionally and on purpose because you're not just trying to get busy and, and do some extra work, but you're looking for a strategic way to connect with people because you're on mission. You want to build relationships with someone who needs to know Jesus. So obviously that means once you're in this group, you don't just sit quietly and do your thing. You look for ways to get to know the people in the group. How can I connect with them? How can I associate with you? What can uh, I learn about you? And then how can you start loving and caring for them? And that leads right into the second application point, In order to build those kind of relationships, you need to be willing to subvert your own personal preferences in order to find ways to connect with people. Because the chances are really high that they're not going to follow the rules of Christian living that you have become accustomed to. And why should they? They're not Christian yet. behavioral changes will come as Christ begins to transform their heart from the inside out after they get saved. It is not our job to try to get unbelievers to conform to biblical standards. See, the reality is being on mission means we need to meet people where they are. I had a friend in uh, Denver, Frank Scardina, uh, and he played on a rugby team there. And he wanted to try to connect with people that needed to know Jesus, and so he started a poker night. Now, generally, poker and, and evangelism might not seem like the immediate uh, fit together things, but uh, he, he invited a bunch of his non-Christian friends from the rugby team to come and play poker. Uh, I forget if it was weekly or however often he did that. Well, guess what non-Christian rugby players do when they come to play poker? Guess what they bring with them? Beer and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And he could have said, okay, no smoking uh, cigars, no drinking beer, none of that. Uh, After you guys get rid of all that, then we can, uh, you know, talk about things. But, see, he was putting aside his own personal preferences and likes and dislikes because he wanted to connect with those people. He ended up, uh, four of them, played for years. Two of them became Christians. One of them, right before his marriage was dissolving, and it saved a marriage. None of that would have happened if he had made a big issue out of the beer and, and, and smoking when he first invited them to come. What are you willing to do to connect with people being on mission means meeting people where they are and if we tell them they have to clean up their life first you know hey stop going there and stop going there and stop doing that stuff and and start coming to church and and then okay now we can work with you oh we we completely miss the point don't we in this passage talks about people without the law it is not talking about the civil laws if these are people that don't have to stop at red lights anymore, right? This is talking about God's righteous standards, His law. And, and Paul was saying that he was willing to hang around with people who were without God's standards, without His law, enduring their lawlessness. Not only enduring it, not only willing to do it, but actually choosing to do it on purpose, even though he himself maintained a clear conscience by obeying the law of Christ throughout. Why would he put himself in that position? His answer, so that I may by all means save some. Or, as he puts it in the next verse, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, he was willing to put himself in an uncomfortable position position. And did you notice the word some in the previous verse, save some? Not everybody is going to respond, but some might. And the fact that some might made it all worthwhile to Paul. If you've read the New Testament, then you know that Jesus was willing to hang around with tax collectors, prostitutes, and drunkards on their turf. So who are you willing to hang around with? for the sake of the gospel? And that's a hard question, right? Because it is a whole lot nicer to be hanging around with our church friends. I mean, we like that fortress mentality. Let's get all of us believers in here together and shield ourselves from those bad guys out there. But that's the opposite of what Jesus called us to do. He told us to go out there. So, who are you willing to hang around with for the sake of the gospel? How are you going to make that happen? When are you going to start? See, the main question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. How actively am I working to build a bridge between myself and people who need to know Jesus. It's what we have to do if we're really going to be on mission. Let's pray. Father God, you have have sent all of us just as you sent Jesus. You've asked us to be on mission. And God, we've seen how we can do that. But God, now we're starting to look at some of the practical aspects of that. And that means moving out of our comfort zone of our Christian friends and circles and building relationships with people that need to know you. So Father, help us to to think creatively and intentionally about how we can make that happen. God, as we hold on to the law of Christ in our heart, help us to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to have an opportunity to connect people with you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. And as uh, we get ready for the final song, I remind you the prayer room is, is open to the side if. If there's something you'd like to pray about this morning on your own or with someone, uh, we can facilitate that.